this now to go back to OPBC Kids worship time. If you go through these doors, if you are a guest with us and want to walk your kids back there, you'll have teachers back there who will help you get signed in. And then come on back in and join us for the rest of the message. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to turn to your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Have fun. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 56. This is a pretty well-known passage of Scripture, well-known story in the Bible for those of us who have been around church for a while. If you're new to church and you need help finding that, if you grab one of the Bibles in front of you, you can check that out. And uh, somebody around you, I'm sure, will help you find this. This is a story that really people who doubt that God can do anything miraculous, they, they love to doubt this story because with Jesus walking on the water, you pretty much have to come to the conclusion that if this guy can walk on water, he must be God. Okay, because that's just not something we do in a normal day, right? It's not something we've been able to accomplish. It's 2,000 years later. Nobody has figured it out. And yet, Jesus walks on water here. And so, as we come to this passage of Scripture, what we want to do is we want to understand what Jesus was portraying by walking on water. He wasn't just doing a cool magic trick. We've learned that through the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus, in doing these miracles, is not just doing magic tricks to show power. He's demonstrating power in order to back up his message of good news of the kingdom. He's always showing the power after he's done teaching or in the process of teaching something true. So he heals the lame person, the paralytic, after he forgives sins, right? He feeds the 5,000 after he proclaims the kingdom to them, okay? So his ministry is a ministry of the word, and then the, the miracles are there to back up the word. Here in this moment, he's in a little bit more of a smaller crowd of people that are going to be in a boat in the middle of stormy seas. And he's going to demonstrate his power and something about his ministry and something about who he is. Just to kind of back you up and remind you, what's happened just before this episode we're going to read of is Jesus has taken his disciples to a remote place and he's going there to give them rest. What they need to learn in doing that is rest comes from being with Jesus. So wherever he is is where rest is found. Okay, So when they get out there, a whole crowd of people meet them there and mess up rest time. Okay, But they don't really mess it up if they would understand what Jesus was up to, that he's going to be their provider and their shepherd. And if they're with him, he's going to lead them beside still waters. He's going to restore their souls. He's going to give them everything that they need. And so he shows pity to the crowds who come, and he heals them, and he teaches them, and then he feeds the 5,000 men plus their families with five loaves and two fish. And at the end of that, what we read in other Gospels and other accounts is that the people were so enamored with Jesus and understood that only the Messiah could do this sort of thing that they tried to grab Jesus and make Him their King. They had a plan. They said, if we have this guy who provides for our needs, if this guy, the right guy, were just on the throne, then everything would work out. Sound familiar? Anybody? And so Jesus goes away. He like disappears. He says, I didn't come for that. I didn't come to sit on this throne. My kingdom is greater than that. My kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. My kingdom is going to be in the hearts of people. My kingdom is going to be established forever and ever. I can't be contained on a throne. I can't be contained in a noble office. I can't be contained. You get it? He's greater than this leader. He's greater than the leader they have in mind. Instead, he 
sends his disciples away on a boat and goes up onto a mountain to pray. And I want us to read that in Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 56. Verse 45 says this. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Now, he's planning to go there. Catch that? They're going before him. They're just going ahead of him. He's planning to go over there to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened when they had crossed over they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore and when they got out of the boat the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was and wherever he came in villages cities or countryside they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well What we see in the ministry of Jesus is the feeding of the 5,000 plus their families was a turning point in his ministry. It's a moment where people begin to recognize this may be the Messiah. Not only is he doing amazing things, but we want him to be our king. This is a moment in his ministry where it's either go the way that the crowds would like for things to go or follow his father's will. This is a moment in his ministry where he could be tempted to go the way of the world or go the way of his father. And what does he do? I think there's something for us in our lives when we see what Jesus does in this moment, this tipping point and this turning point in his ministry. What does he do? He goes and he prays. He goes to seek the will of his father. He doesn't seek the will of the people. He seeks the will of his father. He's done this before already, right? At the beginning of his ministry, he's baptized by John the Baptist. And what does he do immediately after that? He's taken up into the wilderness for 40 days to pray, to pray and to fast. He's also tempted while he's there, but he goes to pray and to fast. The night before his death, he's going to be giving his life for the sins of mankind. And what does he do? He goes into the garden and what does he do? He goes to pray. He goes to seek his father's will. He even says, not my will, but yours be done. He'd already been told by Peter, hey, you can't talk like that. You can't go be crucified. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking of your plans, not the father's plans. And he's demonstrating that by his going to his father in prayer. Let let me just let me just ask you a real practical question. If at strategic and tipping point and turning point times in Jesus's life and ministry, he, God in flesh, felt the need to go pray. How much more often should you and I be going to pray? Are you with me? If Jesus, the one who calms seas and walks on water and feeds 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, feels the need to go pray to seek the will of his father. I'm thinking you and I probably should never stop. And the Apostle Paul would agree with this, right? Pray without ceasing. (laughs) 
Because we have a greater need than Jesus would have in this moment. We need to be seeking the will of the Father at all times. But Jesus, as Ken Riddlebarger says, he goes, instead of doing what the adoring crowds want done, Jesus is focused upon doing the will of his Father. Jesus' purpose and his focus is to do the will of his Father. So he seeks his Father's will and he sends his disciples off in a boat to go across to the other side of the sea. He goes up on this mountain and if you go up on this mountain and there's any wind kicking up, as we see in the passage there is, you pretty much can't stand on top of this mountain. When you go up on top of this hill, you have to get on your knees to even be able to stay. And he's on his knees before his father and he's praying on behalf of all the masses that he's seen, the people who are sheep without a shepherd, on behalf of his disciples. In fact, I would say he's praying for his followers because he's able to miraculously see them trying to get across the sea in the middle of a windstorm, right? And as he sees that they're not making any headway, he makes his way to them. Isn't it good news that our Jesus is praying on our behalf? Amen? He's at the right hand of the Father praying on our behalf that He is our intercessor, that He is our mediator. Is that not good news for us? So I ask you, if we know that to be true, and we see His power, and we see His glory, and we see what He's capable of, feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, healing the sick, healing paralytics and the blind, raising the dead, healing lepers, then why is it that more often than not, we're a lot like the disciples who when they're in the boat working really hard to go where Jesus said, they don't understand just how glorious He is. Look at verse 52. I think there's a warning here for us. That if we don't heed this warning and the mercy that's found in this warning, (laughs) then we'll be a lot like them and we'll miss Jesus in all of His glory. And I don't want us to do that. Look at what it says in verse 52. They did not understand. It says specifically they didn't understand the loaves. They had watched Jesus feed 5,000 men plus their families with five loaves and two fish, and they didn't get that he is God. Right? And then it says, and their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand. They didn't understand who he was. Still, to this, at this point, seeing all that he had done, their hearts were hardened and they had no understanding of who he is. They followed him, but they didn't understand. And so they missed, they missed the beauty of what Jesus is doing in this passage. Instead of having faith in the one who sent them on the journey and who then said, I'm going to come and meet you over there, instead of having faith in him, they're fearfully rowing for their lives. And I feel like sometimes in my life and in our lives as a church, we find ourselves fearfully rowing, trying to be faithful to what God has called us to without trusting him and his power. Without trusting His presence with us and trusting His plan. So there are two questions that I want us to ask before we get to the real application of this. Okay, Two questions I want us to ask from this passage. The first is this. Do we trust Jesus as the plan maker of our lives enough to follow Him in faith? Do we, miss, do, do we trust Him as the plan maker enough to follow Him and have faith? Because He's the one who lays out our steps for us. He's the one who calls us. If He's going to call us, He's going to provide for us. He's the one who makes the plan for us to walk in. It's not our plan that we're walking in if we're honoring Him. If we're making the plans, we're making failures. 
Okay, just go ahead and put that in a notebook somewhere and remind yourself of that. If you're making the plans, what you're doing is you're planning failures. Okay? If he's making the plans, he's making successes. Okay? And we have to remember that. And so I want you to look at the passage and see this because it's pretty phenomenal what's happening here. And I think we might miss it if we're not careful. Look at verse 45. What does it say? Immediately he made his disciples, made his disciples get into the boat. And he sent them out across the sea. With a storm coming. (laughs) With a windstorm coming. He made them get in the boat and he sent them ahead of him across the sea. Now, remember, even if they didn't see the clouds coming, right? Even if they didn't see the windstorms coming, who makes the windstorm? Right. So he knew a windstorm was coming. And what did he do? He said, get in the boat, go into the windstorm. Do we trust Jesus enough as the plan maker to go into the windstorm? That's the question. Do we trust him enough? Do we trust his presence enough? Do we trust his plan making enough? Do we trust that he knows what he's doing enough? Because what I see in this passage is something that I think we can apply to our lives And it's this. He sent them into the storm. Jesus sent them into the storm. Jesus sent them onto the sea in a boat in the storm. And the second part of that is he sent them into the storm with a purpose. There was going to be a purpose to them going into the storm. Whatever it is that you're going through in your life right now, not to over-spiritualize this, but I want you to understand this, that when Jesus sends you into something, it's always with a purpose. You may be sitting there going, I don't get this, Jesus. And he's saying, wait till you get to the other side. It it may be simply that he wants you to desire his presence and to know that he's caring for you. But he's always got a purpose. And it's not just a purpose for you and a purpose for me. It's a purpose for his kingdom. He was going to display something about himself. So he sent them into the storm. He sent them into the storm with a purpose. He sent them into the storm with a purpose for his kingdom. If you were to read Second Peter 1.16, and if you read this account of um, Jesus walking in the water in another gospel, you'll see this guy named Peter on the boat. And Jesus shows up and, and Peter says, is that you, Lord? He says, yeah, well, if it's you, tell me to walk to you. And Jesus says, well, walk to me then. And Peter starts walking and he starts sinking. It's interesting that in the gospel of Mark, no focus on Peter walking on the water, right? You notice that? Do you know who most scholars say was dictating the gospel of Mark to Mark, Peter. And Peter's like, this story is not about me walking on water at all. This is about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He comes back in Second Peter and he writes this in verse 116. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What Peter wants us to know is he's seen the majesty of Jesus. He saw it from a boat as Jesus was walking across the water. Because what he began to understand is, because Peter's going to be the same guy who's going to write in 1 Peter that we are his people so that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. The same majesty that Peter beheld and was an eyewitness to, he's now delivering to us so that we can go tell other people about it. Jesus was showing his majesty to Peter and the other disciples on that night on the sea for the kingdom. In your life and in my life, every time 
Every time we go through one of those storms, every time we're rowing as hard as we can, trying to just be faithful, and He shows up to demonstrate His majesty, He's doing it so that we will proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. He's doing it for His kingdom. Here's the really cool part. Not only did He send them into the storm, not only did He send them into the storm with a purpose, not only was that purpose for His kingdom, but He sent them into the storm with a purpose for His kingdom under His care. And it wasn't just when He showed up in majesty that He was demonstrating His care. He was praying for them on the mountain. He saw them from His prayer closet on the mountain. And He had compassion on them. Folks, Jesus is not unaware of whatever you're going through. If you are His, He is very much aware. And there is a purpose for it for you and there is a purpose for it for His kingdom. And the hope is, the good news is, you're under His care. He has great compassion for you as well. So it comes back to the question for us. Do we trust Jesus enough as the plan maker, as the one who would put us on the boat and say, go into the storm? <laughs> Do we trust Him enough to follow Him in obedience? Or... Or are we going to be the guys who stand on the shore and go, you know, Jesus, I've been fishing for a long time. There seems to be a windstorm coming. I think it would be better if I just stayed here on the shore. That's just me being prudent, trying to be a good steward of all that you've given me, Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? We can over-spiritualize disobedience, can't we? <laughs> We can justify it in all kinds of ways. But are we going to trust the plan maker enough to go through with it? My dad passed several years ago. And one of the things I remember that he taught me, um, taught me a lot of things. But one of the things I remember a conversation vividly. And he was talking about when he was called to ministry. And it was soon after I um, took my first ministry position that we were talking about this. And, And he said, because if you don't know anything about my, about my father, he was called to ministry at a young age and went to college, studied to be a pastor, went to seminary. And uh, uh, from that point on, he had one medical issue after another medical issue after another medical issue. Um, kidney disease to kidney transplant to um, going blind in one eye, retinal detachment to having to get another eye, that sort of thing. And um, not an actual, it was a fake one. Just uh, fun around Halloween, by the way. Um, <laughs> The fact of the matter is, my dad had one problem after another. He had half of his, his intestines removed. He, and yet, he was one of the happiest people I've ever met in my life. One of the things he told me is he said, you know that day that I knew the Lord was calling me into ministry? He said, from that point on, I have learned what it is for His Word to be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, that He doesn't show me the whole story. So because if at that moment when I was a young man, he had shown me what the next 40 years were going to be like, I would have hidden in my closet or under my bed and never come out. And I realized in my life that I want too much of the too many answers. Right? When all that Jesus is asking for is faith. We, we've become a culture, especially in Christianity, 
where answers are seen as good all the time. I'm just going to tell you. Trying to come up with the answers without trusting Him is going to leave you wanting. Because you're going to still find yourself in the middle of the lake, still find yourself in the middle of the sea, rowing as hard as you can, and you don't have any answers. You think you got the answers, but you don't have any answers. The faith, faith will carry you. I'm thankful that I learned that lesson from my dad. I'm thankful that I have people around me that encourage me to apply that. I want to encourage you to apply faith. To trust the plan maker enough to follow him and to have faith. Second question I want us to ask is this. Do we recognize him in all of his glory? When he shows up. So we're obeying him. We're going across the sea. It's difficult. We're rowing. We're rowing. We're rowing. We're rowing. We feel like we're not getting anywhere. In fact, we're probably not getting anywhere because we're doing it in our own power. Right? And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in all of his majesty and all of his glory. Couldn't get more glorious than this, right? He literally starts walking across the water. I mean, just imagine how frustrating that is. The fishermen had been frustrated with Jesus before, right? They had been fishing all night. He shows up and goes, hey, fishermen guys, why don't you toss your nets on the other side? And they're like, we've been fishermen our whole lives. This guy on the shore is trying to tell us how to fish. They toss their nets. They get tons of fish, right? Here in this moment, they're rowing, rowing, rowing. Here comes Jesus sauntering across the water. How much more glorious can you get that they are struggling and making no headway and he's out for a stroll in the middle of a storm? And he shows up and their reaction. Now, remember, they've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him heal lepers. They've seen him feed 5,000 people. They've seen him cast out demons. And when he shows up in all of his glory in the middle of the storm, walking on the water, they go, it's a ghost. I mean, can you just imagine Jesus going, how much more do I have to do? I'm walking on the water now. They look at him and their first reaction is not faith. Their first reaction is fear. They're in their own power and their next thought is not, I need to trust Jesus who's walking on the water to me, who's coming to me in the middle of all of our hardship. Instead, they fear him when he shows up. It says here's this interesting phrase in here in verse 48, it says, He meant to pass them by, or pass by them. But when they saw Him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. What does it mean that He meant to pass by them? I think this is a fascinating little phrase, and we might miss it if we're not careful. Does it mean that since they spotted Him, then they thwarted the plans of Jesus, and maybe He's not God at all? I mean, He is walking on water, folks. Okay, don't think we need to question that. I mean, the sea was probably big enough in the middle of this storm that Jesus could have hidden behind a couple of waves and not be seen if he didn't want to be seen, right? He could have gone to the other side of the lake and walked. He could have just transported himself and didn't have to walk on water at all. If Jesus didn't want to be seen, he would not have been seen. Can we all agree on that? Okay, so Jesus wanted to be seen. Why does he want to be seen? And what is this phrase, pass by them, mean? Well, there's two other places I could find in Scripture that the same sort of thing happens. One is in 1 Kings chapter 19.11. In chapter 19, Elijah needs to hear from God. And God says to go, hide yourself in this cave and I'm going to show myself to you. And there's a storm and there's an earthquake and there's a tornado. But he comes in this still small voice. This is what it says. God said to him, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord 
passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces. Did you catch that? The Lord passed by. Demonstrating His glory. He passed by Elijah. There's another place in Exodus 33, which I think is fantastic. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Jesus could have hidden himself from the disciples and just been on the other side and said, good work last night, guys. Way to row. But he wanted to be seen because he wanted to display his glory to them. There was going to be no other time besides the transfiguration that they're going to be a part of and the resurrection. Those are going to be the two other times where they're going to see more fully His glory. In this moment, He's going to display to them His glory. He's going to show them His glory. His Godhood, His deity is on display here. And they miss it because of their hard hearts. They miss it because the storm that's going on around them, the waves that are going around them, the job they have to do to row and just be faithful. Oh, would faithfulness never get in the way of us experiencing the presence of Jesus. You ever wanted the power of God so badly that you missed His presence? That all He wanted you to do was rest in Him and know His power because He was near? Look at what Jesus does here. Jesus does two things to show just how great He is and to show the fullness of His glory. The first thing is He speaks. When they demonstrate fear, He speaks. And look at what He says. He doesn't say just trite little words. He looks at them and He says, Take heart, verse 50. Do not be afraid. Two phrases there. He gives them two commands. Take heart. Show courage. Do not be afraid. And in the middle, He says something. Your translation may say, It is I. And you know what he's actually saying there? I am. He's declaring the name of God to them. He's saying who he is right in front of them. And they don't get it. They miss it. He declares his glory. He declares the fullness of his deity to them. And they miss it. They didn't understand all that he had done. And they miss him right in front of their face in all of his glory. Oh, that we would not be so hard-hearted, so focused on our plans and focused on our strategies that we would miss it when Jesus is right in front of us, showing us all of His glory and all of His compassion and all of His mercy and all of His power. That we not miss Him. And He does the second thing, which may even be more fantastic than the other. He tells them to take heart, to, to not be afraid, that He is God. And then He does this, verse 51. He got into the boat with them. (laughs) Folks, we may spend too much time asking God for His power in our lives instead of asking Him for His presence. You understand that when we get His presence, you know what else we get? We get His power. Most of the time when His power shows up, 
and it's not in his loving, compassionate presence, it doesn't go well for the people on whom his power is poured. Although we would desire his presence, and with his presence we get his grace, his mercy, his power, his compassion. We get all of it. And when he gets on the boat, the winds cease, and all of that straining that they had been doing now it becomes easier. They were they crossed over. They came to the other side. And when they get to the other side, he doesn't just show that he's shown compassion to them. He begins to show compassion to the crowds who meet them there. Crowds who, much like the disciples, don't seem to have much faith in Jesus in anything other than the fact that he could heal them. They're not interested in hearing the gospel of the kingdom. They're not interested in hearing his words. They just want to touch the hem of his garment. They just want to be healed. They want to bring all their sick people out. Much like the disciples seemed to be at this point where they wanted the power of Jesus, but they kept missing the presence of Jesus. These people, they just want to touch him because they just want a sense of his power. They just want to be healed. And Jesus shows compassion to them. I... I, I want to make sure we understand this. We cannot show compassion to the rest of the world until we understand how much compassion we've been shown. We cannot look at a world that seems to be going to hell in a handbasket, right? And say, you need Jesus until we start living like we need Jesus. We can't tell a world Jesus is glorious until we start living like Jesus is glorious. You cannot declare to the world that Jesus is worthy of worship until we start singing like he's worthy of worship, right? We can't say Jesus is enough for us and should be enough for you if you would just not pursue the things of this world while we in our lives are pursuing the things of the world. We can't declare to the world Jesus is powerful and he's, his strength is enough, his strength is sufficient when we keep straining and striving in our own way. We can't be the people who declare compassion to everybody else until we figure out how compassionate he is. We can't take the presence of Jesus to other people until we experience the presence of Jesus. We're going to be like the disciples who our hearts are hardened and we just don't seem to get it. He's still going to use us. But the benefit is going to be small for us. And the message is going to be weak. We're going to sing in just a few moments. We're going to sing, It is well with my soul. Right? And as we sing that, I wonder, what makes it well with your soul? Is it my sin or the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part for the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord on my soul is it the fact that you realize what he's done for you so you can say it is well with my soul you say that though Satan should buffet and trials should come let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul See, if you can't say that, that that's your hope, then you have no hope to give to anybody else. See, when the I am speaks to us, he speaks with all of the authority of the Creator. He speaks with 
all of the authority of the sustainer of life, all of the power of the one who makes and remakes and makes new, all of the love of the Savior, all of the mercy of our caregiver, and all of the authority of the just judge who's coming. He's not a different God every time He speaks. He speaks as all of those things. My question is, do we come to Him when He's showing us that compassion to speak to us and say, do not fear. Just take the hem of my garment. In your lack of faith, I'm still here. Do we come to Him in faith and in in His compassion? He is the compassionate shepherd to the faithless and hard-hearted. Isn't that good news? I know that's good news in my life this week. That in my hard-heartedness and faithlessness, He is still a compassionate shepherd. He was compassionate to the hard-hearted disciples on the boat and He was the shepherd to the people who just wanted to touch the hem of His garment and could care less about Him. He's also the compassionate shepherd to the desperate and needy. And it's only the desperate, the desperate who are working as hard as they can, or the desperate who have no place else to turn that will find him to be the compassionate shepherd he is. I want to leave you with this good news. Jesus is more powerful than you can ever imagine. And he is far more compassionate than we ever deserve. If you come to Him thinking you deserve His compassion and His grace, you'll miss His presence. If you come to Him in unworthiness, saying it's only because of Jesus that I, anything is well with me, you may just find Him getting in the boat. And I don't know about you, there's really good news here. It says they got to the other side. They had been rowing all night and hadn't gotten anywhere. Jesus got in the boat. Everything died down. They got to the other side. I don't know about you. I want to get to the other side. Because on the other side, I have the opportunity to declare the greatness of Jesus in the middle of the windstorm. I want us to get to the other side. I want us to trust Him in all of His power and all of His compassion. Father, I pray that we would trust Jesus today. That we would not just sing trite words, but instead we would pay attention to the verses we're about to sing. Because in the verses are our only hope to say it as well. May we proclaim the excellencies of Jesus to others. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing together. It is